You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. When your phone carrier tracks you, that's a gross invasion of privacy. You can either keep letting them cash in on you or visit expressvpn.com slash mission log to get the same VPN we use. Take back your online privacy today and use our link to get three extra months free. That's expressvpn.com slash mission log expressvpn.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 456, Non Sequitur. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Norman Lau. Each week on Mission Log, we take a look at each and every episode of Star Trek, looking for the morals, meanings, and messages contained therein, and seeing if they withstand the test of temporal shenanigans. Temporal shenanigans. That's a band name you can have on us. This week, Non Sequitur. The one where Harry Kem finds himself on Earth, where everything seems perfect, almost too perfect, and has to make a choice between his happiness and what's right. John will be back with trivia right after this non sequitur of contact information. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek. Drop us a line at missionlog at roddenberry.com and join us on Twitter and Facebook at Mission Log Pod. While you're at it, Leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And please remember, your comments may be used on Mission Log or Engage on the Roddenberry YouTube channel. And now returning to the main sequitur, here is John Champion with this week's trivia. Thank you. I just had to find the right timeline, but I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Trivia for non sequitur. The episode was written by Brandon Braga. It's Brandon from top to bottom on this one. He developed the story and the script. But as always, there's more to it than just that. Think way back to TNG at the end of season one. Patrick Stewart, like a lot of actors, took a moment to bend the ear of the producer. That would be Gene Roddenberry at that time about his desire to do more. He wanted romance, action, to be more pivotal instead of just letting everyone else around him get their hands dirty. In the quick and easy parlance of TV writing, this became the sex and shooting discussion. Every actor on a series wants their moment, and Garrett Wong wanted it too. So just like Sir Patrick before him, Garrett approached Brandon Braga as season one wrapped and said he wanted more. Give Harry Kim some action, some romance. He meant it across the entire season, but Brandon put it all in this episode and made it very Harry-centric. This was directed by David Livingston. Seems just right to have David on this one. He directed another episode that heavily featured Harry Kim in the last season, Emanations, and he most recently directed Learning Curve in our rewatch. Well, here we have an episode that spends very little time on Voyager itself, but we also don't have location shooting. What we do have is extensive use of the Paramount backlot, such things used to be much bigger and much more common. Every studio had a backlot that had standing facades and could be redressed to match different architectural styles. In this case, they were using Paramount's New York backlot, which is still in existence. The production did redress a good portion of it and even repainted the streets to make it over for San Francisco. 
In another cost-saving move typical of Star Trek, we have some reused effects. There are shots of the Golden Gate Bridge and Starfleet headquarters used from, oh gosh, Star Trek The Motion Picture, Star Trek IV, and Star Trek VI. There's the runabout, which was used in DS9, and an explosion sequence pulled from that series episode, Armageddon Game. Uh, We do have a shuttle name here. We have the Drake and not for so long because it's gone before you can even see it, presumably named for Sir Francis Drake, the 16th century captain and explorer. Now let's meet our guest stars. Lieutenant Laska, who is Harry's friend on Earth, is played by Mark Kiley. Mark has a long-time career in TV and feature films. If you were following Beverly Hills 90210 back in the day, you would have seen him as a guest multiple times. He has some major film credits like Bruce Almighty and Gods and Monsters and the absolutely notorious Leprechaun 2 from 1994. This is Mark's only track appearance. A mysterious coffee shop owner, Cosimo, who is more than he seems, is played by Luis Giambalvo. Uh, He got his professional start back in the late 70s by appearing on shows like Benson, and soon after he was appearing in TV movies and features. He often plays a tough guy, but you can also see his comedy chops in Airplane 2, Deal of the Century, and another Richard Pryor movie, See No Evil, Hear No Evil. Honestly, Luis shows up everywhere, including a one-time spot on the love boat. This is his only Star Trek appearance, and in more recent years, you can find him in guest spots on Grey's Anatomy, Dirty Sexy Money, and General Hospital. Admiral Shearer, though not named that way on screen, played here by Jack Shearer, and honestly, it's probably a good thing that they didn't name him in the episode, Shearer shows up a few more times in Voyager, uh, but also in the movie First Contact, looking very much the same, but name-check there as Admiral Hayes. And in case you were wondering if we've met him before, yes, we did. Shearer shows up twice in DS9, in the first and third seasons in The Forsaken, and in Visionary, in which he played a Bolian and a Romulan, respectively. And yes, Harry has a girlfriend. Her name is Libby, and she's played by Jennifer Gatti. And you need to go all the way back to Mission Log episode number 232 when we covered Birthright parts 1 and 2 together for Jennifer's first and only other Star Trek appearance. She was the Klingon Bael in that two-parter. Prior to Star Trek, you may have caught her in recurring roles on soap operas like Search for Tomorrow and Guiding Light. After this, her final track appearance, you may have seen Jennifer on The Young and the Restless or in a recurring role on Danny McBride's Vice Principals on HBO. Welcome to the Alpha Quadrant. Your career's going well. Your best girl is by your side. That can't possibly be right. Prologue. Off in the distance, inside his mind, Ensign Harry Kim believes he hears Captain Janeway and an order for emergency transport. However, as he wakes up, he is disoriented and confused, especially when he turns to find Libby lying there next to him in an all-too-familiar apartment. As Harry looks through the window above his bed, he watches a Starfleet shuttle fly across the iconic Transamerica Pyramid in the city of San Francisco, on Earth. Act 1. Trying to make any sense of what is happening, Harry's confusion is only met by Libby's normalcy of trying to get his day started, just like any other day, 
with breakfast and several loving reminders of his big day today. Once cleaned up and in uniform, Harry demands to know the date. Libby tells him it's 49011, which narrows down many of Harry's theories of what happened to him, since his current experience is too vivid to be a waking dream. Perhaps this is a holodeck simulation or a hallucination. In any case, Harry stands before Libby and gives her the standard rank and serial number shtick, to which Libby isn't very amused and is outright upset when he mentions Voyager, especially since the memorial service for the ship, crew, and Harry's best friend Danny Bird was just a short two months ago. Shortly after leaving Libby, Harry heads to work and is met by a local coffee shop owner named Cosimo, who has Harry's usual waiting for him, a Vulcan mocha extra sweet. Cosimo seems to know a lot about Harry, including his engagement to Libby. Shortly after his brief encounter with Cosimo, Lieutenant Lasco whisks Harry away to their meeting with Starfleet Brass. As the detail of Harry's life flashes before his eyes, he is still unsettled and he and Lasca sit down with a handful of Starfleet higher-ups, including one very anxious admiral. Lasca and Harry have been working on an experimental runabout class called Yellowstone, which Harry, who apparently is one of Starfleet's finest engineers, has absolutely no idea what Lasca is talking about. Act 2 with the Admiral and his command staff impatiently waiting for the presentation to continue, Harry has no choice but to excuse himself for the day, feigning illness, which adjourns the meeting and draws the ire of one Lieutenant Laska, who under his breath tells Harry, You'd better be dying. Shortly after, Harry enters what appears to be his office, replete with framed diplomas and certificates of his accomplishments. As he walks past a model of a galaxy-class starship and a massive engineering drafting table with a schematic of the Yellowstone project on its display, Harry accesses a computer terminal to figure out who he is in this timeline. It appears in this reality, after graduating from Starfleet Academy, he was denied his posting to USS Voyager and pivoted to the Starfleet Engineering Corps, where he excelled fantastically, much to his own surprise. Harry also accesses specific files regarding Voyager by using his still-active Level Security 3 clearance codes. In this reality, his friend Danny Bird was posted to Voyager's operations officer and disappeared along with all hands in the Badlands on Stardate 48307.5. Still mentally unfocused from all that has and is still transpiring in his current reality, Harry tries to make it home but needs help from Cosimo, who again knows more about Harry's life than he does, and points him in the direction of where he lives, along with exactly which apartment number as well. When Harry finally makes it back to his apartment, he finds Libby there, just finishing a shower. As they sit together at the edge of their bed, Libby shares her concerns for him as Harry tries to explain how much he has missed her. After falling asleep in each other's arms, Harry wakes up in the wee hours of the morning, walks around a familiar clarinet he knows all too well, and sits in front of his computer to find one Thomas Eugene Paris. In this timeline, Paris is still alive and, after his parole, is living in Marseille, France. Libby confronts Harry and wants to know why he is still acting so strangely, hoping he's not getting cold feet about their marriage. She even thinks he needs to talk to a Starfleet counselor. But all he can do is ask that she trusts him and that he needs to find his friend, Paris, in Marseille. And once Harry walks through the doors of an all-too-familiar pool hall, he is confronted by Tom Paris, asking the ensign who the hell he is. Act 3. 
Not one for reunions, a very short-tempered and down-on-his-luck Tom Paris appears to be more cynical than the one Harry has befriended since they met on Deep Space Nine. However, this Tom Paris's journey to redemption apparently ended on Deep Space Nine. After Captain Janeway paroled him in New Zealand, and much to Harry's surprise, this version of Tom actually did accept her offer to pilot Voyager into the Badlands. However, once Tom Paris made it to Deep Space Nine for his final disembarkation to Voyager, he had a run-in with a certain Ferengi bartender, which ended up with his arrest by a certain shapeshifter. This Tom never met Harry, and since he was never assigned to Voyager, meant that he never saved Harry from being swindled by Quark, which prevented Tom from getting into that fight that got him arrested and his parole revoked. Harry tries to explain to Tom that this wasn't supposed to happen, and that he did end up piloting Voyager, and whatever this timeline is, isn't supposed to be this way. Something happened, be it alien influence or temporal anomaly. In any case, Harry tries to convince Tom to return with him to Starfleet to try and recreate what happened to Harry on his shuttlecraft. But Tom just laughs it off and laughs at Harry, thinking this is all one big joke. Harry, wounded and disappointed in his so-called friend, calls him a loser and a drunk, and easily sidestepped Tom's punch for such an insult. Harry then storms out of the bar, while a very familiar coffee shop owner watches with grave concern. When Harry returns to his apartment, he is met by a very concerned Libby and Lieutenant Laska, oh, and two armed security officers. They all seem to be concerned about Harry's erratic behavior, but Laska and his security detail are also there to bring Harry in for questioning. Once seated in front of the Admiral, Harry tries to plead his case in front of both him and Laska that he's from another timeline and that he's trying to make it back to Voyager. But the Admiral and Laska both have evidence that frame Harry as being a possible Maquis sympathizer because of the security access codes he used earlier in his office prior to meeting with Tom Paris, who in this reality is a known Maquis sympathizer. Until Harry can prove his story beyond a shadow of a doubt, he is placed under a type of house arrest, complete with an anklet that prevents him from off-world transport travel. Act 4 A defeated Harry Kim returns to his neighborhood and Cosimo has been waiting for him. Sitting down with Harry and serving him his usual Vulcan mocha, Cosimo reveals to him that he is from a species that exists in a temporal inversion fold in the space-time matrix, and that Harry, while piloting the Drake, accidentally intersected a time stream which scrambled certain histories and events which caused Harry to end up in this new reality. Harry demands for Cosimo to send him back, but Cosimo makes it perfectly clear that anything could happen if they tried to fix this temporal anomaly. Cosimo wonders why Harry doesn't believe that this may just be his fate, that this actually is the way his life was supposed to be, with a prospering career and a woman that loves him. But Harry believes that Danny Bird and Tom Paris deserve their lives back the way they were destined to live. Cosimo relents and gives Harry a special disc, which contains the coordinates of a nearby time stream, which, if the conditions are recreated, could return Harry to his own timeline. Back in his apartment, Harry attempts to remove the house arrest anklet so he can move freely without Starfleet's interference. While doing so, he is interrupted by Libby, who still cannot come to terms with Harry's extremely strange behavior. He tries to convince her one last time that he is still the man she fell in love with, the one who mistakenly was in her seat at the Qatarian Music Festival when he met her for the first time. Suddenly, the anklet alarm goes off and Starfleet security beams directly into the apartment. Harry escapes momentarily thanks to Libby running interference for him, but outside the town plaza, one of them tackles Harry to the ground and is about to haul him away. 
but a surprise punch, courtesy of Tom Paris, knocks out the security officer, and the reunited friends, after a fashion, flee the scene. Act 5. Running into an abandoned alleyway, Tom and Harry take a breath and try to sort out exactly what is going on, especially Harry, who is surprised that Tom, the person who he least expected to help him, just saved him from being arrested. Tom admits that wherever Harry came from, whatever timeline that Tom Paris exists in, it has to be better than the timeline he's living in now. And with that revelation, Harry tells Tom that he has access to a prototype runabout that can get them to the time stream coordinates encoded on Cosimo's disk. All they need to do is break into Harry's office, access the runabout security codes, beam to the Yellowstone runabout prototype, and fly it out of space dock to the time stream's location. Easy. Good thing that Tom came prepared with a site-to-site portable transporter, and with the push of a button, the game is afoot. And, with a few close calls, Tom and Harry successfully steal the Yellowstone and make their way to the time stream's coordinates, while a Nebula-class starship gives chase all the while. Unfortunately, the Yellowstone's defenses weren't upgraded, and the Nebula-class starship has the upper hand in a straight-up firefight, which cripples the inferior runabout post-haste. As the runabout is about to suffer a warp core breach, Harry and Tom recreate the details of Harry's original shuttle accident, including an emergency beam-out, as Tom hoping that his future is restored, shoves Harry into the transporter pad and beams him off the Yellowstone and into the time stream as the runabout goes critical and explodes. Off in the distance in his mind, Ensign Harry Kim believes he hears Captain Janeway and an order for emergency transport. However, as he wakes up, he is disoriented and confused, especially when he turns to find himself back in the cockpit of the Drake, right before he is safely beamed back to Voyager. When he sees Tom alive and well and on the bridge of Voyager, where he is supposed to be, he looks at his friend and tells Tom, I owe you one. The end. Well, you know, you would think that I would throw us for a total curveball. Good job, by the way, Norman. Oh, thank you. And, and just say, are we going to do something totally different in keeping with the theme of non sequitur? But no, I think we'll, I think we'll do what is expected, <laughs> and we'll offer up our observations <laughs> on your uh, recap on this week's story. So how about that? So w- let's play the title game. We haven't played the title game in a okay. while. Okay. We haven't. Right. We haven't. No. And I wanted to see how the title fit in with the plot. So just to refresh everyone's memory of what a non sequitur mm-hmm. is looking at the Merriam-Webster online definition, twofold. One, an inference that does not follow from the premise or premises specifically, Mm -hmm. or two, Mm -hmm. a statement such as a response that does not follow logically from or is not clearly related to anything previously said. Mm -hmm. So that is Mm -hmm. the understanding of the definition, the strict definition of non sequitur. Does it apply to what we're going to be talking about later? Your mileage may vary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think, I mean, if you take sort of the, the, that, that moment in the teaser, Harry wakes up, you know, he thinks that he's back on a shuttle listening to Janeway trying to beam him out, but he wakes up in bed in San Francisco. That is a non sequitur moment, although I think colloquially and, and going by the definition that usually has to do with like a verbal response right. as it like we're talking about dogs we're talking about dogs we're talking about dogs and like what's your favorite ice cream mm-hmm. wait that, that's no hang on that that's a non sequitur yeah um 
uh, also an interesting argumentation style <laughs> where you just completely divert. Uh, but well, we won't do that just yet. We will actually uh, stick to the topic and we'll go along with uh, some of the stuff that happened in the episode. And right away, I'm going to say, because we open in San Francisco and we see a lot of San Francisco, well, we see the back lot mm-hmm. made over to look like right. San Francisco. Man, those warm filters are just working over time. That oh. lighting, it, it is it is golden hour every hour in future San Francisco. They must have worked hard on that. Mm-hmm. Golden hour, the uh, from what I understand, the industry definition of perfect lighting. Yeah, yeah. It is right when the sun starts to go down, ju- just when it's at a low enough angle, well, a little before it goes down. But yeah, you get that warm glow. Everything looks incredible. And um, yeah, so that's what every filmmaker is going for. And David Livingston and his DP and their lighting director, whew, man, they, they golded it up all over the place. Was it me or was this like the shortest prologue that we've done it was extremely short i think it is the shortest that we will have in season two mm. may even be the shortest so far that we've had sure or, felt or it's like very it. close yeah. yeah very very close yeah by the way and you mentioned this in your recap why is libby using stardate so she's not in starfleet now and I just I happen to really appreciate it, and we've already gotten it once before in Voyager. I really appreciate it when Star Trek drops in a conventional, you know, Gregorian calendar date. Mm-hmm. It just sort of helps to ground you where you are. So especially when you're on Earth, I would have liked it if she just said, "It's Tuesday, Harry. You know what's happening today? <laughs> right. You know? Yeah, there you go. Right. right. It just seems when you yeah. use a start date, it, I don't know. It, it just seems still a little sanitary and out of place it does and, you know? and it's clunky for the for the familiarity we're supposed to have with what's going on because right. we have to have familiarity with it as an audience member mm-hmm. just like harry kim does right. i gotta say this man harry has a nice place for an ensign or maybe it's libby's place i don't know or is it a starfleet dorm whatever it is wow it's really really nice mm-hmm. i do like to see the continued use of old architecture and furniture i mean kim by this time he lives in a building that's pushing like 500 years old and uh his appreciation for antiques he's got uh the corbusier design couch and seating so good on him yep. guys got taste and i liked also and it was it was very smart of them to use the establishing shot of like you know old like the um historical district banner yes. so that you don't have to yeah. go too futuristic with the facades and it can still can look like modern San Francisco. Well, I would say modern, like 20th century San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was all, yeah, cleverly worked in. But then I love when we get out on the street, the futuristic details, like the subway entrances, like it's just different enough and you can go like, Oh, okay. They maintain this part of the city, but then some things changed over time. That was cool. And one thing that changed over time, you go to a coffee shop, you're going to get your coffee in a space coffee cup. Space. So excited to see that. But were they really that? They weren't really that futuristic. I mean, it's weird, uh, right? You know, for for an audience in 1995, they must have thought, wow, where do I get that coffee cup? That's clearly from space. space. That's the only place to get that. Right. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. Okay. So I know that I'm going to get the emails and please send them to me because there's something that I just, <laughs> it grates on me in Star Trek. And it's yeah. these unconventional conventional naming conventions for like beverages and foods like Vulcan mocha extra sweet 
Why is it a mocha? A mocha is like it's a human beverage. You know, it's coffee and chocolate. It's mocha, right? Right, right, right. You know, so you have like yeah. Romulan ale, right? Yeah. Or or Tarkalian tea or Klingon blood yeah. wine. Aren't they? Don't they have their own specific names? I mean, like Rakugino. That's a Klingon coffee tasting beverage, but it's not coffee. Right, it's Ractagena. Right. Yeah, it's sort of like if you, instead of saying, I want a Bordeaux, you said, I want a red French Bordeaux wine. <laughs> exactly. Like it's, just, it, it's, it's clunky, yeah. And I don't yeah, think that yeah. Vulcans care if their coffee is sweet or not. Sweet brings out an emotional component to what you're drinking. Oh, we can't have that. We can't, no. It no. might as well, again, no. it just should be Plomeek soup or just broth. <laughs> That's all they get. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. I have to say that once we get to Starfleet, I love, love in this show the optimism of an ensign and a lieutenant by themselves proposing a new runabout design to an admiral. Mm. <laughs> like, can you can you imagine today, okay, in the 21st century, early 21st century, uh, in the modern U.S. Navy, an ensign pulls a meeting with an admiral, like, here's my new submarine design, admiral, want to build it? I just, I just like, that's, that's how I kept thinking that would go. That you is, know? and remember, folks, for your delicate ears, that is plucky with a P. That is that plucky. That is plucky. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Also, I loved Laska's briefcase. When I first saw it, I'm like, that is dumb looking. But when he actually opened it and it became like the notebooky thing, I'm like, why aren't all notebooks built this way with a handle in them? I thought that was so cool. I, it, at first he had it and I was like, is he getting out uh, colored pencils and crayons? Right. Is it his makeup kit? What is this? But no, it's this cool notebook pad combo thing. And that was awesome. 24th yeah. century trapper keeper. That's what that was. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, and, uh, you know, uh, the whole zip down, it's like, dude, Harry should have said, like, at least zip up your uniform. Look professional. Like, it's like, ooh. okay, so you know what that is, John? I, I, I remember this. You know what that is? When it's zipped down, it's like taking your tie down and unbuttoning your top button. You know, it's oh, formal, yeah. but informal yeah, yeah, at the yeah. same time. But when you're meeting with an admiral, zip your Don't uniform Don't do that in front up. of an admiral. Don't do that in front right. of the admiral. Yeah. We'll say when we get to see Harry's office, he has some nice details. He's got those stainless steel coffee mugs. He's got a model of the Enterprise or some galaxy-class right. ship, presumably the Enterprise, you know. And and he's got his diplomas are in space frames. Space. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very cool. And that mm -hmm. Elkar's table. Wow. Was that gorgeous. Oh, that was so cool. All right, yeah. John. So here it is. And this was so wonderfully couched inside of its own little riddle. Cosmo says mm -hmm. that Harry lives in apartment 4G. Do you know what 4G is? Aside from the signal. An apartment number. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and a cellular band. Yeah. You have the number four. And G is the seventh letter of the English alphabet. Stop. 47. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Star Trek, I'll give you that one. That That is a good use of 47. I don't know why nice. I went down the rabbit hole to figure that out, but it was just like, why 4G? And why does like Cosmo know yeah. that specifically in the dialogue? That's really good. Right. All right. I appreciate that one. Also kind of cool to go to Marseille and incredible how the real Chez Sandrine looks just like the holodeck version of Chez Sandrine. It's amazing. Incredible. Uh, I'm going to Marseille to see Paris. Wow. I wanted that to land better. They, they tried. They tried. They swung for the fences and they failed. Also, uh, that was ill-fitting, but not as ill-fitting as Tom's wardrobe. It's almost like 
they took like the scraps of like Jake Sisko's and Neelix's cutting room floor and just threw right. it on top of Robbie Duncan McNeil. Yeah, yeah. Right? Just like here, <laughs> yeah. just here's what you look like: drunk, disheveled, out of work, but still somewhat fashionable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I will say it's interesting that uh, in the notes on this show, uh, Brannon had originally planned to have Deanna Troy Mm. as someone who would question or counsel Harry Kim. Marina wasn't available. And now, in my mind, though, would have been perfectly acceptable to have like a Vulcan do a mind meld with Harry to make sure he wasn't lying. Like there are a lot of ways that you could get across like, yeah, to these people. Harry is, you know, in his right mind. Nice call outs and details like going to DS9 and the Ferengi and the shapeshifter and all that. I thought that was that was clever without, you know, it was on the nose without also beating you over the head. With and the low by crystals, because we all know that that's the yeah, moment when right. Harry got swindled and then Tom stepped in. Uh, so right. how exactly did Starfleet know what Harry was meeting Tom for when he went to Marseille? Because, okay, so there was an episode, don't remember exactly which one it was, but it's when... Uh, Dr. Bashir and um, an admiral, they both took off their comm badges to talk real talk, quote unquote, mm, real talk. Right. And we were wondering yes. if you take the comm badge off, does it also stop, say, broadcasting or recording? So is that what was going on? Was If you have a communicator on, are you being surveilled the entire time? I, you could theoretically, yeah. Because how do they I, know yeah. unless yeah. they had somebody following yeah. Harry to Marseille just to spy on him yeah that's making a big inference if not which seems a little uh out of place um i do love uh, harry's line when he comes back why does everyone say relax when they're about to do something terrible great line great line totally is intervention moment that was uh that was clever and and just overall i I love that whole hitchcockian vibe of you know the man out of place like his reality has changed and that that's very cool and you know all right starfleet admiral yet to be named you don't have any evidence to back up your claims. Okay, but you haven't asked for any evidence. Right. Like, here's Harry offering everything. He's literally saying, like, do a scan, do this. Like, please help me out here. I mean, come on, guys. You're, you're Starfleet, and you know that this kind of thing happens all the time. Right. So let's find the one sympathetic voice, shall we? Yeah. That kind of bugged me because you have a Starfleet admiral, and you also have Laska, who's lieutenant. You know, the, their collective experience would have probably at least given Harry a benefit of the doubt, even the slightest benefit of the doubt. It just goes right out the window. It's like, prove to us that you're not, what, you mean like the security (laughs) codes that I use that I shouldn't have? Like, Uh, right. You know, doesn't that at least give me any leverage here? No. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and it's funny, like, uh, back to this whole, like, surveillance and distrust thing. Like, okay, we're using ankle bracelets in the 24th century because, well, okay, but much to your point, but the comm badge, does anyone notice the comm badge Harry has on the whole time? You know? And speaking of security, which that thing you can pinpoint anyway, you can beam security officers literally anywhere, anytime, or, I don't know, beam Harry back anytime you want. So, yeah. <laughs> they didn't quite think that through. Oh, teching the tech, John. Mm-hmm. Speaking of teching mm-hmm. the tech, yeah. you might want to take off the cuff that's holding you there completely off before you get into your <laughs> soliloquy of everything and then the alarm goes right. off you know just focus yeah, harry med- focus 
Right. Mess with it a little bit. <laughs> let's stop and have a long conversation. Yeah. Then I'll get back to it. Um, I do love, though, in that scene, how the security officers beam in behind the room divider. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it just gives them a little privacy before they have to chase down Harry Kemp. Like, that, that was That's hilarious funny. to me. For Yeah, yeah. But let's talk about Cosimo for just a second. Here's an alien that monitors space-time and oversees accidents and is just like living on earth with a coffee shop does i mean does harry put this in his log of this whole event because when he gets back to earth he should probably bring it up to starfleet that's a great point you know? like yeah like here's another alien with who knows what kind of power and just like oh he's got a coffee shop he's just there all the time i'll raise i'll raise you on that john i'll raise you a okay. cosmo with a Cosmo computer chip because Harry still has it, right? It has the coordinates to get him to this time stream. Why not just keep using it over and over and over again (laughs) until he gets it right? Oh, man. Right? He could. It's not like he He stuck it in a disk drive on the Yellowstone and it blew up. And it's not like Cosmo said, you only have one chance. It's like, here are the coordinates. Do whatever you want with them. I can't guarantee you're going to get in there, but hey. And, And for that matter, when Harry's back on Voyager... He knows where he went right. in the shuttle. He's like, hey, let's, let's go back over there. <laughs> Small detail. Um, yeah. And even smaller details. <laughs> when you are like, you know, expounding on why you may be shot into oblivion on a stolen runabout that's being chased by a starship. Why does this mm-hmm. happen in the 90s where at the moment of peak action, mm-hmm. there's this grand exchange of dialogue oh yeah right oh there has to be you, you've got to eat up those those 10 seconds become easily 30 seconds because you got to eat it up with a monologue right. where, yeah, like imagine exactly. you and i like you know running for our lives and but all of a sudden it's like you know john if we went down that alleyway instead and 10 minutes later we actually you know eventually gonna running down that alleyway no you know because we cannot run bullets no, unless, no, unless, way it unless goes. we don't know something. Oh, hey, there goes another shuttlecraft. But does it, though? Ooh, oh, oh, yeah. Okay, well, no way. Hang on. The Drake, yeah, the Drake actually gets destroyed. Like the Yellowstone. But the been. Yellowstone, the runabout, right. the runabout, it, it got destroyed. But maybe in that other timeline, Laska is still working on right, it. Right, but the, sh- mm, the Drake, so is that a yeah. wash? Does that even out? Yeah, maybe. Maybe it is. Maybe. I, I like the Yellowstone. It looked very cool. And, yeah. and one small thing, though. So everyone knows, like in Voyager, like that Tom and Harry are buds. So when mm-hmm. Harry gets back, why overcomes to say, is Lieutenant Paris on board? Like, why are you so formal, dude? Like, you know, he's your bro, right? You, the reason why you're back on Voyager is because you want to go back and see if Tom was okay to restore his timeline. And not just Tom's timeline, but Lieutenant Paris's timeline. I mean, that seems yeah, a little... Yeah, should have... Yeah, Janeway should have made them hug. Cosimo is what you get if Ganin loses her liquor license. We will get right back to non sequitur, but first a word from this week's sponsor. Hey, I don't know if you're like me. I assume you're like me in one respect, which is that you probably use your phone all the time 
for all kinds of things. Now, it might be simple stuff, might be texting a friend, might be sending a photo, something like that. But you probably also do some really important things with your phone, like, oh, maybe checking in on your bank or maybe paying for groceries or other necessities in life or uh, ordering things online. And the scary part about all of that is that your phone carrier collects data on whatever it is that you're doing. So I mean, major companies like you know Verizon admitted to it, and they say it's uh, so that they can better understand your interests. But really, what they want to do, the whole goal here, is to sell your activity to advertisers, and that could be anything like the the sites that you visited and what you've been up to online. The more that they can get on you, the larger their paycheck becomes, which is why we use. ExpressVPN. And especially on our phones. I mean, being able to find the ExpressVPN app to use is very simple. And what the app does is that it prevents your phone carrier from being able to see the sites you visit and sell off that information to third parties because that, just like John said, kind of like that's like the end game of what they're trying to mine. It's great. It's like a little bitty app says ExpressVPN on your home screen. Tap that in that one top of that very, very simple button. All of your network data gets encrypted and rerouted through ExpressVPN's secure servers for ultimate privacy. How easy is that? We love easy. We love that one button <laughs> push do. easiness. And yes. not only does it shield web browsing, but ExpressVPN also protects all of your network data so you can stay private even when using your favorite apps. So again, we're talking about the phones, but whether you're an iPhone user or an Android user or a tablet user on different mobile devices. ExpressVPN works on all of your devices. The best part is one subscription can be used on up to five devices at the same time. I have at least three devices that I'm using ExpressVPN on, on my same mobile. Here. Yep. Yep. Mobile, tablet, and computer. Yeah. Multiple computers, actually. So I'm probably up to five at this point. So look, Ang, when your phone carrier tracks you, that is a gross invasion of your privacy. And you can either keep letting them cash in on you or you can visit expressvpn.com slash mission log to get the same VPN that we use. Take back your online privacy today and use our link to get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash mission log, expressvpn.com slash mission log. And we do thank them for sponsoring this week's show. All right, Norman, a uh, handful of things to talk about here. I, I want to say, I want to move around my notes a little bit because I want to save maybe some of the bigger ideas here for a little bit later in the discussion. Mm -hmm. But I want to ask you, you know, you are somebody who from the beginning, you've kind of tracked Tom Paris's character development. We had the Tom who we met at the penal colony. And then by the end of Caretaker, he's almost a different guy just in that short time. Yeah. And then we have a big, big misstep <laughs> with with how we treat Tom in subsequent episodes like Ex Post Facto. Um, and then we have quite a bit of redemption then for Tom again later on. So we, we, we've really built up Tom quite a bit. And now we get to see this alternate Tom. And, and I wonder, just in your opinion, and our listeners can chime in on this too, would Tom Paris have proceeded that fast along that downward spiral 
Like, here he's given this chance mm-hmm. by Janeway. He accepts it. He goes off to Deep Space Nine to connect with Voyager to then carry on. So he, he's actually back in the good graces somewhat of Starfleet. And then apparently it just all goes very badly within that eight-month period. And, yeah, like I said, in Caretaker, he's a little rough around the edges, but he's a guy who's willing to take a chance to do what's right. He gets a similar opportunity here, but, but man, he is just fallen in eight months. He is an angry guy mm-hmm. at Chez Sandrine. You know, uh, one of the things that I think that I really would have liked to have seen was them to to push Tom a little bit darker, you know, in that direction. Oh, okay. I didn't really buy that he was actually in dire straits when Harry walked into Chez Sandrine. There wasn't really a setup mm. where, say, like Libby tells Harry that when he's going to go see uh, Paris and Marseille, you know, that wonderfully joke mm-hmm. that didn't land so well. <laughs> right. That she didn't warn him, like, that's a really bad part of town now. Or, or like, that's, that's you know, you don't want to go there. That's dangerous. You know, only, like, the uh, worst of the yeah. worst, you know, go yeah. there. And then you see Shea Sandrine, and I think that it was also, like, just a little too sanitary. It was a little too clean. It was a little too safe. Like, nowhere did I really feel or see that Tom was in the direst of straits. But but do you feel like it's not necessarily he's in dire straits, but do you feel like he's a guy who would throw a punch at a total stranger with that little provocation? And yeah, like the, the Harry is digging in, but Harry's also not a bad guy. He's not he's not threatening uh, Paris. Mm-hmm. I think that that's the point where I just went, hmm, well, we know that Tom has to have some redemption in this story anyway, but is he also the guy who's going to throw a punch that quickly? And I, I do, I have to hand it to Harry for disarming that situation and getting the upper hand like immediately. It was a good little quick bit of fight choreography mm-hmm. without Harry really losing it. Right. You know? Yeah. And I think that that goes to, to prove that Harry is thinking clearly and Tom is clearly not thinking clearly, but I Mm -hmm. I needed to feel a little bit more, I guess, aggression and anger in Tom, like that really cynical side coming out to like, you know, erupting in a way where he sees like this spit shine polished Starfleet officer coming into his bar to tell him the lay of the land. And Tom looking at him like, yeah, your uniform did absolutely nothing for my life, right? And it just yeah, didn't feel yeah. like like you wanted that you wanted that that friendship that we know to can be completely foreign and alien to both of them because it didn't really feel like there was anything mm-hmm. there that was really super tense. It was tense, but not to the point of yeah, where Tom threw a punch. It didn't feel like that was earned. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm just curious because Tom Tom is a character who has been pretty bendy for the first season mm-hmm. of uh, of Voyager, and now like very soon into season two of Voyager, we get the alternate reality for for Tom Paris. You know, so how much more bendy can we make him? But I, I think you know ultimately in this story, what we're looking at obviously is Harry's journey. It's not Tom's journey here. And I, I feel a little um, – it's a little strange in a story like this because we as the audience, we just – we know intuitively what is the right answer. We know what is 
right for the story. We know it's right for Harry. We know how this has to end. And we also, we partly know that because of like the production reality. It, it, the reality is, well, okay, Robbie McNeil's name has to be on the opening credits next week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right. we're not going to completely, you know, the, the, this will get a reset uh, at the at the end of the episode. But what I found were the interesting nuggets to take apart here was Harry's loyalty to Tom versus Libby, because that that is I, I, the most interesting sort of wedge here in this episode. And then ultimately that forces us to ask, well, what is the right timeline? And ultimately who's to say what is the right timeline? Well, that's what Cosmo we're, was trying just, to get to, right? Like who's to say? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, so we're just solely going on what Harry wants. And what Harry wants is that he's more concerned about Tom than he is about Libby and his own future happiness. Mm-hmm. There's also the guy who took his place on board Voyager. But, you know, but but look at what's stake, you know. Let's say Harry stays in place in San Francisco with his girlfriend, or he takes a risky flight that could literally, according to Cosimo, land him at any point in the timeline. Like, literally anywhere. Like, before life emerged on Earth, he could just find himself in a runabout pre-life. Um, he gave, and this, yeah, he gave uh-huh. Harry a disc that basically said, okay, remember how far back Picard went in All Good Things? You can either go that far back or that <laughs> right, far forward. Right. Who's to say? Yeah. 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 Who's to say? But look, I'll give it to you anyway. Yeah. Even though I know that this could mess things up and make it even worse, I'm going to give it to you anyway. So this alien, presumably with a lot more knowledge, is just going on the the desired outcome of this one human who he has taken an interest in. He knows that something got messed up, something's wrong, but again, messed up according to whose point of view. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that... One of the things that I really wanted to see uh, during the course of this story is Harry reflecting on these choices. Like, what does it Mm -hmm. mean if I do this? I would love to have seen him maybe in his apartment looking at that chip and Libby, you know, confessing, like, what's going to happen? You know, why are you doing this? I needed to get to a better emotional core with Harry, a better emotional depth. And let's... Let's take a look at, say, the two very most uh, Harry-centric episodes that we've gotten so far, Emanations in Season okay. 1 and this yep. episode. In Emanations, we saw the effect of what happened to Harry at the very end. Janeway mm-hmm. gave him the space, mm-hmm. like literally ordered him to take like days off you know, from coming back to duty so that he could emotionally process what was going on because something incredibly profound happened to him as he was navigating the life and afterlife situation of of beaming to that different planet. This, I think, is actually even more powerful because what Harry has gone through is deciding between the woman that he loves, a life of near perfection, as I said earlier in the show, versus mm-hmm. the unknown of returning to Voyager if he even makes it back because that's not certain. Yeah. yeah. And then establishing that relationship with Tom. So I guess the big question, John, in understanding <laughs> like everything that we've seen in their relationship, was Tom or is Tom in their relationship worth that decision? Worth putting the entirety of time and space at risk for? That's what that is. 
Yeah, because it really it, it it comes down to Tom. Voyager has already been like presumably the rest of the story has gone the same. Voyager went to the Badlands. Voyager got lost. Caretaker took it into the Delta Quadrant. All those things played out. They just played out without Tom Paris and without Harry Kim. So that really is the only kind of X factor here. And and the only thing that Harry Kim knows is different is that Tom has hit the skids, <laughs> but Harry is presumably much happier living his life with Libby and then uh, developing a new runabout. It's hard to put yourself in that position the way this story plays out. The way this one, and I'll I'll come back to that thought when we do our final wrap up. But like, look at it this way, okay? Play it to the very very end after the credits roll. Think about Harry on board Voyager, okay? So yeah, he may owe Tom one because somewhere there's a dead Tom Paris in another timeline who blew up with that shuttle, okay? But now Harry actually gets to say to the rest of the crew that uh, he gave up his home life again for the crew of Voyager. And this time he did it by choice. Mm -hmm. The first time he says, you know, isn't given the opportunity to say goodbye to his family, to his girlfriend, to the life that he knows back on Earth. This time he actually chose to do it. So they all owe him. <laughs> he's he's back. Unless, Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Unless... Uh, process this thought for a second maybe the other guy who took his place maybe he's somehow better at his job than harry is and he wound up being the one who gets voyager home in another six weeks who's to say so maybe that maybe that's the other part of the timeline we don't know oh, right and that, i think that goes back to cosmos saying like who's to say who's to say that your fate mm -hmm. as of right now isn't the way that it's supposed to unfold even if there is a temporal anomaly who's to say this goes down the rabbit hole of you know, who's to say this? Why can't it be that? Why can't this be the reality that Harry is supposed to be in? Uh, and I think that it, it, I don't know how to phrase this right. So please help me mm -hmm. with this and please be patient with me, audience. Because when you watch an episode like this, that clearly has, I think, the right structure to it, clearly has, I think, the right mm -hmm. intentions for it. I think the one thing that I really, really wanted from this episode in order for it to work at that emotional stakes level, at least for, for what I was, you know, uh, wanting out of this episode, I needed mm -hmm. to believe in Harry's and Libby's relationship, and I didn't. Uh, that is sort of the elephant in the room here. Yeah. <laughs> because, yes, yes, so much of this hinges on the, the personal relationship yeah. and Harry's emotional state throughout all of this, dealing with all of it. Yeah, I'm not, yeah. I'm, I will never really understand kind of like the depth and the sacrifice and uh, the stick to itiveness that people have to choose a career in acting. And I don't mm -hmm. want to be, you know, just armchair quarterbacking and saying that Jennifer Gotti was not the right person or is uh, an mm -hmm. ineffective actor in this. It mm -hmm. just very well may be the role or the writing just didn't connect with her and didn't connect with the script and therefore didn't connect with Garrett. Mm -hmm. But it had to. In, in this case, in this episode, her, her confusion, her desperation, you know, her heartbreak at him choosing to leave, that all had to sell. It all had to sell in order for Harry's sacrifice to get back to Tom to land in the way it needed to land, to make that sacrifice feel like it stuck. And you know those 
you know those World War II movies where you see the obvious setup, like, here's a picture of my girl. I'm going to tuck it in my vest, and then I'm going to go right. on Omaha Beach, and that's the only thing that's left of me. And then someone finds it, falls in love with that picture, returns it when they finally rotate back to the States, and then there's this yeah. huge emotional cathartic moment that we go through. Yeah, I feel like that's what they wanted to get to in this episode, but it really didn't land. And it started with when she didn't give us a warm introduction to what day is today. Let's 49011. Like, of, well, of yeah. course it is. I'm yeah. like, I felt right. nothing after that. Right, ever. right. That, yeah, you know what? It comes down to a line as simple as that. Yeah. It's funny, you know, as you're saying that, though, because you, you're spelling out the sort of emotional resonance that we need to follow a character who we absolutely know has to make the right decision. You know, but I'm here. I am playing the home game, and in my alternate timeline of production, not not just the episode, not just the story. And I say this with love because Garrett is a friend. Um, this would have been a hilarious way to write Garrett off the show. <laughs> I mean, so think think about it, and, and please, please, audience, understand me. I'm not saying they should have done that. Had this production gone that way and said, ooh, we need to write a character off the show, guess what? We just created an alternate timeline where that happened mm -hmm. because then that character decides to make a different decision <laughs> that is much more uh, maybe selfish or personal or, again, throws this whole question of what is the supposed correct timeline totally up in the air. Right, because the the whole premise here is we're just saying, well, the timeline is the one that we just say is the right timeline. I mean, I guess in, in the, I, again, I please, <laughs> you know, retroactively, nobody write Garrett off the show. He's great. Yeah, I, I, I guess in the grand scheme of things, when you believe in like the emotional depth of these characters, then you get, I think, what they're trying to establish in this in this season so far with say the thirty sevens, where mm -hmm. characters have to make a choice choosing between the temptation of staying or going why would anyone in their right mind want to return to a voyage that may very well be damned right mm -hmm. very well may be day in and day out you really don't know if you're going to live or die but then you wake up with the sand between your toes, a pina colada in your hand, sunshine beaming down on you, and just hearing the crashing of waves. But I'd rather go back to the blackness of space where I can get torn apart by aliens or swallowed by a wormhole. I think I'll make that choice. Does that make sense to you? I'm in the wrong timeline. It's the 24th century version of Sorry Admiral, the dog ate my homework. Well done, Norman. Ending the last segment with a provocative rhetorical question for our audience. Curious what people have to say. But here we are, uh, again, in the finest non-non-sequitur tradition, ending up exactly where we're supposed to be. Oh, and absolutely. So we're going to get into the sequitur part of what we do here at Mission Long, because traditionally, this is where we talk about the morals, meanings, and messages. But first, we're going to talk about, does this episode hold up? So continuing the sequitur of non-sequitur... John Champion, how does this episode hold up for you? Okay, it's a good-ish, 
but not great episode, but with some really interesting insights and ideas to tackle. And Norman, it's so funny because as we always say, and it is always true, we don't read each other's notes. We, we you, you take a glance here, a glance there, it kind of structure things so we have an idea, but we really, we don't look at what the other person is going to say. And it's so funny that you compared this to the 37s in the last segment, because that is my note <laughs> about mm. partly why this doesn't hold up so or, or actually one of the strengths of this episode i should say compared to the 37 so right. the 37s we're teased with the idea that some of the crew might want to stay behind in a city but we never see it and this time we actually get to stay in the city that harry calls home we get to hang out there for a while we get to meet the people around him and we can feel a bit more why there would be a tug for him to stay and there's this huge amount of pressure on him to do what's right. But then that question ultimately comes down to for whom. So the setup, the personal drama that, that is at stake here, it's all very good. We do have to rely on techno babble at the end, and we do have to manufacture a bit of drama with the whole, you know, it can't be done, or or maybe it's too risky, and then here's an explosion. You know, that that's the sort of the the stuff that you feel feel like is going to get crammed into Act Five of an episode like this. But really, we're there. We're along for the character journey, and and for Harry, mostly that's satisfying. But unfortunately, the character drama is, well, it's best when we're looking at Kim purely in his relation to Starfleet or Tom Paris. And it is at its worst when we're talking about the relationship between Kim and Libby. And that should be the strongest part of the draw here. So this is a very weird episode of Voyager. I think in many respects, it is a good episode of Voyager, but is it really a good or great episode of Star Trek or a good or great episode of any science fiction TV show? Because ultimately, if you're not bought into all the personal stakes, you can't be bought into the story as a whole. This is a premise that could be handled very well on the Twilight Zone you know, there, there's fun stuff here. There's always that what if, what if I made a different decision? So that that that's fine. It's one of those classic stories where the protagonist is the only one who is right. And right, we're putting in finger quotes here. And then we as the audience get to go along with them and see if anyone else will, will listen. So in the end, there are good ideas. There are classic ideas here. But it's not well executed and it's not well executed because I, I i feel like our connection to the emotional lives of the characters just isn't totally there and especially when you play that out but then you have to get to the techno babble ending you have to get to the resolution that is all via computers and starships and explosions it it takes away from the potential of what we did build up I don't want to not like this episode. I, I want to like the idea of exploring the emotional lives of the characters. And I do like Harry Kim. And I do like spending time on Earth and really trying to show, not tell the audience what the stakes are. But unfortunately, we get a lot of telling and not showing, or at least that showing feels 
it it feels well as i said manufactured so that that's that's the weakness here for me mm-hmm. what about you i mean i'm i'm very much on the same page but one of the things i i do love about this episode um is like emanations you have an asian main character an asian male main character that is my representation so i'll selfishly have to say i love seeing garrett in the lead getting the lion's share of the scenes and actually representing an interracial relationship Mm-hmm. That to me was very important, and yeah. I'm not sure if it was as important to you know young Asian men like me at the time in 1995. But being in an interracial relationship, it's important to me, and it's important because I think that it shows that this is what Star Trek is about. It's about human mm-hmm. beings being able to have these types of open and diverse relationships. Mm-hmm. That all being said, I am on the fence about this episode. Not a lot of it works for me, but some of the things do, and they do well. My biggest issue with the episode is trying to get to the emotional core, like you were saying, John. It Mm -hmm. just doesn't quite deliver the depth of what I think really needed to be focused on. And I think one of the reasons is because we're not completely 100% sold between Harry and Libby's relationship. That needs to be far stronger than it was. Yeah. Also, in my opinion, I think Tom Paris shouldn't have been in this episode at all. Mm. Because that would have taken away from Harry having to decide between Libby and Tom. I think what it should have been is Harry having to decide between Libby and Daniel Bird, who is Mm -hmm. his friend, who just Mm -hmm. gets mentioned just because... And yeah. going back and fixing the time stream because it's what's it's the right thing to do. Tom isn't the right thing to do. Returning the time stream to its normal timeline is the right thing to do. And having the relationship work between Harry, Libby, and then obviously trying to figure out what Harry and, and Bird was about, that should have been stronger emotionally. We should have been torn in our yeah. heartstrings when he made that decision. That's so that, yeah, that's the interesting part. And I'm going to refrain from putting on the writer's hat here. I promise not putting on the writer's hat. I think you're tapping into something, though, that is much more interesting, which is you have to really feel that emotionally between Harry and Libby. It all has to be about that. Mm -hmm. And I think that would have been helped if actually had a much more sympathetic Starfleet. Instead of it being the, you know, the Harry on the run prison break, uh, getting rid of the ankle bracelet, punch out a security guard. I think it would have been much more interesting if you had a a sympathetic group of people who are actually saying like, hey, we may not trust you fully, but we want to help you get to the bottom of this. And then then really the decision is on Harry. It's not like I'm just trying to run from this thing. Right. Then it really is about like, ooh, I have to think about everything that's at stake here. Well, I think we've mentioned this before, and I think it also was because uh, Brandon was solely um, in charge of emanations that Brandon has mm-hmm. – he has the capacity of creating incredibly amazing ideas, but many, many, many of them, maybe too many of them, end up in his story. And he mm, needs to weed yeah. them out. So when you really take a look at this episode, you have, you know, Harry and Libby, you have Harry and Tom, you have Harry versus Starfleet, you know, you have Harry and the Yellowstone, you have Harry and Laska. All of these things are just kind of like floating around in there. Harry and Daniel yeah. Bird. Yeah. But none of them get they don't get the 
the focus that they deserve. So I think that's why mm-hmm. it, everything is just a little too unbalanced in this episode, because there are a lot of great ideas. You just have to pick two or three of them and really kind of bear down on them. Because mm-hmm. it also, I know this is probably not going to sit well with a lot of Voyager fans, and I'm sorry. I just don't buy Harry and Tom's relationship right now to the point where he would choose his happiness mm-hmm. for Tom. Mm-hmm. I don't buy it. Not at yeah. least not right now. Yeah. Yeah. We, we don't know how long Harry and Libby have been together. Mm-hmm. They are engaged <laughs> as of this point in the story. So, yeah. Yeah, you have to buy all of that. And there's just a lot that is hard to buy with this episode. And that that would bring us then to, you know, morals, meanings, messages. I'm not sure entirely that there is a message here. But I do think, you know, again, we, we might sound sort of hypercritical about this one. We do it all because we love Star Trek and we're invested in these stories and we we're engaged with it and we want to wrestle with these ideas. So I do think that in the end, what is interesting here, just from the sci-fi conceit of it all, is these sort of big idea questions. It's not necessarily telling you what to do as the audience or advocating necessarily for one side, but I, I do like this question about, is there such a thing as the way it's supposed to be? There's almost this like, you know, Dickensian Christmas Carol kind of thing where you're presented with a couple of possible outcomes. And the story obviously wants you to believe that it has to go one particular way. But I do love the fact that we get a character like Cosimo there at least to plant the idea into Harry's head to say, who's to say? You know, this is the reality now. This is what's happening. And by the way, it'd be really hard if you try to change it. But he's going to do it anyway. And then, you know, we get to this other kind of very weird question about the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few. But then more precisely, like, who are those many and who are those few? Because Harry can't speak to the outcome of what's happening on Voyager right now with this other crew with Danny Bird on board and no Tom Paris and no Harry Kim. How can he possibly reason that his presence on Earth now isn't actually a better outcome for that crew that's on Voyager? He has no way of deciding that. And mm-hmm. and by the way, his disappearance, what impact does that have again then on Libby or her future or the rest of their families? I would also venture to say, here, here's another weird way to look at it. Harry's knowledge of what happened to Voyager... <laughs> could actually be incredibly valuable to Starfleet if he can express to Starfleet, well, he needs to prove to them that he is who he is, and he might be a man out of time, out of his own timeline. Uh, but that knowledge is valuable. And uh, they could actually then do something, hopefully more proactively, to go search for Voyager. So it, it, it's one of those weird stories where you say, okay, he may be on paper, in this script, be acting for the needs of the many who are his crewmates, who he knows are stuck out there in the Delta Quadrant. But there is actually a far more rippling effect through the timeline of those few, quote-unquote few, that he thinks he's protecting or, in the case of Libby, like sacrificing now. Yeah. 
I mean, I we're on the same page here. Uh, it's, yeah. I think that conversation with Cosimo and Harry at the um, in the middle of the fourth act. I think it was mm-hmm. probably the the best moment in this episode because it really does set the stage for Harry's kind of like ethical decision. And I wish there was a little bit more again depth to why he was making this decision because you're right. When when Harry says I have to get back and Cosmo's like, but do you really? I mean, think about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. You're sacrificing this incredible future, this new life, the way that it's supposed to be. If you never were on Voyager, and unless there is some compelling argument that makes you choose that future, Voyager's dark future, for the future that you have now, yeah. again, that argument has to be ironclad compelling for you to yeah. be able to do that. Yeah. This episode presents the ideas of that, but in my opinion, doesn't really go that far. But at the same time, though, the hubris... The sheer effing hubris <laughs> nice. that Harry has to make that decision on behalf of time yeah. is, I think, where we have to kind of take a look at the moral meaning or message here. I'm like, who gives you that responsibility and right and why, right? How yeah. do you have the right to make that decision to change the outcome of not just the lives on Earth, not just the lives on the Delta Quadrant, but time itself i think that's hugely glossed over in this episode and i think that again great ideas huge just these ethical dilemmas but the end of the day harry is just like rolling a 20-sided dice and it comes up aces (laughs) but (laughs) that's not i think where a good moral decision needs to be wrestled with He should have been sitting there with Libby saying that I'm the man that you fell in love with. I love that line. I'm the man that you fell in love with. And if you know me, you know that I have to do the right thing, regardless of whether or not I'm going to have a happy outcome. I will come back to you in 70 plus years, but I can't look at you in the eye right now and saying, I'm not going to do the right thing. But is it the right thing? Hey, look, Libby's single best moment in the whole episode is standing in front of the window when he jumps out to the fire escape. I love that moment. Yeah, because it's a moment of action where you are showing, not telling the audience, Mm -hmm. that she then recognizes that he is the person of integrity that she fell in love with. That, like, there's one moment there where you can go, like, okay, then, then they get it. Yeah, so I guess at the at the end of the day, and you know the the final analysis for morals, meanings, and messages for me, I think that you have to th- to look at the fate that has been decided for you and say, what am I going to do with this to make this the most positive outcome? Versus, I wish I had the power in the universe to change it all so I could do it all over again. It's mm-hmm. a little tropish, but at the same time, though, the reality is no one really gets that critical dice roll in reality. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. If you'd like to support us directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash mission log for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord. Our website is missionlogpodcast.com and for more Star Trek news and discussion, visit trekmovie.com. On the next Mission Log, Twisted. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11. 
online at warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers, Adam Brusky, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, John Mann, Mike Richards, and Mike Shabel. Or maybe, I'm in the wrong timeline is the 24th century version of, I'm breaking up with you. transmission. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.